Corinthians chapter number 10. Let me say a few words while you're turning there, and then we'll have a long introduction and a fairly short message, I think. No promise. Being a a pastor is uh, somewhat like being a parent. I don't mean that everybody's a bunch of babies, uh, but sometimes, sometimes that might be true. But what I mean by that is that it subjects you to a, a lot of different extremes. In other words, you're on the mountaintop one minute and you're in the valley the next minute. Those of you that are parents know exactly what I'm talking about, Right. And you go from way up here to way down there in a matter of seconds sometimes. And as a pastor, seeing people get saved and watching them grow spiritually brings great joy. On the other hand, seeing unsaved people reject the gospel and watching saved people fall away from the faith is heartbreaking I don't think anyone here likes to see their loved ones get hurt. You know, the parents repeatedly warn their children over and over again about doing things that might injure them. And one of the things when I was a kid that I heard, I think maybe more than anything else, and it's probably because I climbed everything in sight. I I had... Mom said, said my flat feet was due to the fact that I jumped off of everything I climbed. I climbed every tree, every building. Now, there wasn't a building inside or a barn or anything I hadn't climbed up on top of. And I, I can't tell you how many times I heard Mom make this statement. And uh, whenever she used the first name, you knew she really meant business. When she said, Harold David, you're, a, you're fixing to fall. Fixing to fall. Now, you, you know, you've got to be from the south of the Ozarks to understand fixing. I know that's not good English. I understand that. But, uh, you know, I, I can't think of a better way uh, to describe what's on my heart this morning. So that's the title of my uh, message, Fixing, F-I-X-I-N. Don't put the G on there. Fixing to fall. The text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 12, but I want to begin our reading this morning in verse number 5. As Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, warning and instructing them and using Israel as an example, he says in verse number 5, but with many of them, that is Israel, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples. I've underlined that in my Bible. It might be good if you would. Our examples. To the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. 
And neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. As a pastor, I, well, as a person, I always want to be honest. But that doesn't mean that I ought to always tell everything I know or to express everything that I feel. I love what C.S. Lewis said many years ago. He said, I've often repented of speech, but hardly ever of silence. And if we don't say something, well, you know, we don't have to later on repent of it. Preachers have to make sure that they say what God wants them to say and to not say things God wants to remain unspoken. That's really difficult sometimes. It's not always easy to know just how much you ought to say. And I say that because that's where, you know, I find myself as a pastor on many occasions. And even this morning, I want to be brutally honest, but there are things that has to remain unsaid. There are things that people would not understand, people things, uh, things that people would misunderstand. And the older I get... Uh, there are two fears that become more intense every day. Number one is staying longer than I should. And number two, leaving or quitting before I should. And I don't want you to misunderstand that statement. And that's why I want to make sure I explain exactly what I mean. If I had my way... If God gave me the physical strength and the mental ability, I would be thrilled if he let me pastor the church until I'm 100 years old. I mean, that, 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 that would be great. Uh, so the point is, that, in other words, as long as I'm able, I don't plan to ever retire. And I kind of feel like Chuck Swindle, whenever he made the statement, he was speaking at Liberty University and he said, one of my great goals in life is to live long enough to where I'm in the pulpit preaching and, and, and preaching my heart out and I die on the spot and my chin hits the pulpit and boom, I'm down and out. What a way to go. And I thought, that's, yeah, I, I want to die like that. And I got to thinking, you know, that's pretty morbid. I, I don't want to die in front of all of these kids and spoil the service. So... So Bev and I have worked it out. We're going to die in our sleep together in that way. Well, <laughs> that's the plan. I don't know if that's the way it will happen or not. But uh, the point is, as long as I'm able, I, I don't ever want to quit preaching or quit being a pastor. And that's why before 
every message. I try to remind myself what the old Puritan Richard Baxter said. I preach as never to preach again as a dying man to dying men. I, I think about that every single Sunday, realizing that someday will be the last day that I'll have this glorious privilege. But there's another factor that I want to talk to you about this morning that I have to keep in mind, that you better keep in mind, and that is that in our service for the Lord, we have to continually think about the possibility of failing, the possibility of falling, and the high price for doing so. And the consequences of the casualty are mind-boggling. I'd rather die than do that. I've had dear preacher friends that have that, that have brought shame and disgrace upon the cause of Christ, that has torn churches apart and hurt their family and their loved ones. And I'd rather that God kill me on the spot than to be responsible for doing that. This is something that no Christian wants to do. There's not one Christian here this morning that is hoping they fail, hoping they fall. But every Christian here is liable to do so. And thinking that it cannot happen to you is the first step in it actually happening. Although it shouldn't happen, although it does not have to happen, it might It's happened to others. Even the great Apostle Paul, if you look back in chapter 9 and verse 27 there, you'll notice that his great fear was that he might become a castaway. I can remember the first time reading that and it really hitting me like a two-before between the eyes, and I thought, what do you have to worry about? I mean, here is a spiritual giant And yet he lived his life and ministered for the Lord with that fear that I might someday become a castaway. If it could happen to him, it could happen to any of us. And so prevention is a lot better than the cure. So many times when we fall... We make our failure right with God. We confess our sins and we receive forgiveness. But then we have to live with the consequences for the rest of our life. You see, one fit of rage, one moment of yielding to temptation, just one sin can cause you to do things that you can never, ever undo again. It's done. The consequences are there. I jotted down in the margin of the Bible there in chapter 6 of Galatians where it talks about the law of sowing and reaping, this little poem that somebody wrote many years ago. How oft sin has blasted the life that once was pure. For once the seed was planted, the harvest day was sure. You know, I'd like to think I'm strong enough to be able to resist every temptation. 
I'd like to think I'm strong enough and I love the Lord enough that I could endure every trial. I'd like to believe that I would never ever get to the point that I would throw in the towel and quit. But I have to remember that I face a determined foe who never ever stops attacking. An enemy that is stronger than I am. An enemy that refuses to stop his assaults against me and against my loved ones and against my family and against this church. There are times that, like all of us, those times in the valley, that it seems like he's actually winning. So to keep my head above water, I try to practice what the song says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. That's a great encouragement, but listen to me. While we're counting our blessings, Satan too is taking note of those blessings. And he's going to do everything in his power to stop the flow of blessings from God to us. And he knows that if he can bring about our fall in some way, that he can rob us of the blessings that God has laid up for us. So every single Christian needs to understand that they are in desperate need every single day. And that any moment that we are liable to fall, some have fallen and they don't even know it. I wish I had time to preach an entire sermon on on that statement and what I'll say in the next minute or two. Some have fallen and they do not know it. Others have fallen, but they are yet to show it. In other words, they have fallen, but it's not obvious to everyone else. And there are some that have fallen and everybody knows it. And there are some who will fall, although no one believes it. In other words, you would never imagine it happening. And I'm telling you that it will for some. It's just a matter of time. The purpose of Paul's letter is to help us avoid that tragedy. And so as he writes to the church at Corinth, and remember, here is a church that is troubled, a church that has is lacking in no spiritual gift. In other words, the potential is there for God to use them mightily. There's no reason why they could not be the example to all of the other churches rather than the church at Thessalonica, except for the fact that Satan has gotten the advantage of them. And Paul is writing to help them and to help us. I want you to notice in our text today, and I hope you take this very personal as I have. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Notice the character of this person who falls. To put it in one word, it would be this, and that is presumptuous. Someone that thinks they stand, 
He said, you better take heed. You think you stand. In other words, this is a person that is assuming this will never, ever happen to me. That's a dangerous position to be in. That was one of the problems with Israel. And if we had time to look back at all of the Old Testament verses, and I jotted down and marked just a few, I want you to listen to the attitude of Israel, and, and it'll be easy to see why God's judgment came upon them. Isaiah twenty-eight fifteen. Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell, and are in agreement, and when the overthrowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. Isaiah 47, 8. Therefore hear now this, thou art given to pleasures that dwellest carelessly, and sayest in thine heart, I am and none else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, and neither shall I know the loss of children. In other words, this is Israel's response to the warning of the prophets. You talk about God's judgment coming upon us. What are you talking about? It's not going to happen. We'll never lose our children. We'll never lose our spouses. We've made a covenant with death and with hell. We're all right. We're going to get by. Fools they were. He said in Jeremiah 5:12, "Neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine." See, they're presumptuous. They have the idea that none of this will ever happen to them, and that's the very thing that gets all of us into trouble. The fact that You know, it might happen to someone else, or it did happen to so-and-so, but it's not going to happen to me. I'll be the exception. So this is the character of the person who, who falls. But notice the cause of it. Now, when you look back beginning in verse 5 where I started, you'll see several different things that contributed to their fall. He gives a list of several different sins there that was involved in their fall. But folks, we can put it all into one word, whereas the character is described by the word presumption, the cause is pride. It was their pride. And Solomon said in Proverbs 16 and verse number 18, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. In chapter 18, he said, before destruction is the heart of the man haughty. And it's in our pride that we become presumptuous, assuming that this has never happened to us. We will never fall. We'll never become a casualty in our Christian life. And we need to realize that if Pride has filled our heart that we are in, we're in deep trouble in assuming, in assuming that we are going to escape the consequences of our behavior because it's impossible. It'll happen. Notice the consequences. Boy, this is more than we can number. 
As I've sat in the office this week and thought about what to say in regards to the consequences and and the list just goes on and on and on. So I thought maybe it would be better if we just put them in different categories. And whenever we fall, there's several bad things that happen. Number one, there's the loss of our testimony. In regards to Israel, you remember that God had appointed Israel to be a light to all of the Gentiles. In fact, God said to Israel, I have set you as a queen. In other words, God is the king, Israel is the queen, and he said, I have decked you out, I have adorned you, I have beautified you, and I have set you among the nations. What was the idea behind all of that? The purpose of that was that that the other nations might see in Israel the goodness and the greatness of God and be converted to the Lord. But Israel failed miserably. And as a result of that, Israel lost their testimony. In other words, when they lost their difference, when they became like the world... All of a sudden, their testimony is shot. It's down the drain, so to speak. They've lost their testimony. In in other words, now they'll never be able to fulfill their purpose. And folks, if we can't fulfill our purpose, there's no reason for our existence. So there's this matter of losing our testimony. How horrible that is. You probably know people like that. In fact, it might be that at some some point in your life you experienced that. Where it had taken you years to build a good reputation and others looked upon you maybe even with admiration. And in just one moment, a fit of rage or whatever, all of a sudden that shot And now, were you to witness to your co-worker or your classmate or your family member or whoever it might be, they would laugh at you. Your testimony means nothing now. We need to understand that the loss of our testimony is a horrible thing to lose. But not only is it a matter of losing our testimony, there's a matter of losing also our talent. Whenever I think about ancient Israel, I always think about the situation back there as they're preparing and thinking about entering into the promised land. And I believe it was Reuben and Gad said, well, you all go ahead and we'll stay on this side of Jordan. Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, they said, we're just going to stay here. We'll hunker down right here. We kind of like where we're at, this fertile valley. We can feed our cattle and what have you. You all go on. And Moses said, shall your brethren go to war and ye sit here? Let me tell you, folks, it's not a small thing when we lose a member of the church. That's not a small matter. Because every person God puts here, he puts here intending for that purpose to become a contributor that person to be a functioning member in the body of Christ that they might enable and help the church fulfill its mission. And every one of you has a purpose like that. You're needed in the church. Now listen, I've 
I've got to say this because there are times when the church is better off without some members. If all of a sudden this happened to, well, it's happened to many people. Dave Drabecki, the pitcher many years ago, uh, got cancer in his arm, his shoulder, I believe, or started in his elbow maybe, and they had to amputate his arm. I'll tell you, if, I, if the doctor says, look, you've got cancer in your arm, and I either, I either, you know, take off that member of your body, or it's going to consume your flesh, it's going to kill you, you know, I say cut it off. And I tell you, we're better off without members that are going to become cancerous to the church body. We don't need members like that. But while that is sometimes the case, the exception to the rule, most of the time it's a horrible tragedy when somebody falls by the wayside. We need to think about the loss of our testimony, the loss of our talent, but then there's the loss of our time. You think about Israel. They spent 40 long years in the wilderness. Why? They had the opportunity right there before them. They could have entered into the promised land, and they lose all of that time simply because they wouldn't cooperate with God's plan. The result of their fall was what? Spend the rest of the time out here in the wilderness then. I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend the rest of my time wandering around in the wilderness of a lost, fallen life. I I don't want to live that way. God doesn't want any of us to have to live that way. I think about the prodigal son going off in the far country. And I've often said, oh, how much better it would have been had that prodigal son you know, maybe just got outside the door or just a little ways down the road and realized, wait a minute, I'm about to lose everything as a result of what I'm doing. And I'm going to go back and tell Daddy, I'm sorry, Daddy, please take me back. I don't care if you let me be your son or not. I'll be just a hired servant. I'll sleep in the bunkhouse. I'll, I'll eat with all of the servants, Daddy. He'd have been a lot better off than to think about the time that he wasted out there in the far country. Often think about that old song, Wasted Years, Wasted Years, Oh, How Foolish. And there are a lot of people that have gone to their grave looking back sadly upon a life of wasted years. And all of those years after our fall, until we make things right with God, those are years that are wasted time that's gone forever. So in the light of all of this, I want you to consider just a few words of counsel about this. Number one, look at verse 11 again. Now all of these things happened unto them for examples. Here's the first bit of counsel. Take heed that so many have fallen. You might be next. You know, if you are shocked by the fall of other people, here's something maybe you need to remember, and that is that it, to me, it is a greater wonder 
that any of us would be able to stand than that some of us might fall. I've often said that it takes a miracle to live the Christian life. I can't do it. None of us can do it. It takes a miracle. It takes supernatural help. There's no way that, that any of us can, can succeed without God's help. We're all destined to fall without God's help. And, and, and I tell you, I'm just amazed by, by the number of those that have remained faithful to God until, until the end. Sonny, I often think about Linda. Boy, I could name a lot of other people too, but I mean that name just popped in my mind because she was such an inspiration when she was here. And with a lot of hardships and difficulties, and boy, when the doors were open, you you just knew that Linda was going to be here. And it's just... Uh, thrilling thought to know that that you go on to glory having left the testimony behind that you were faithful until until the very end. But when you think about the large number of people that have fallen, folks, that look, that that ought to be a warning to us. Bev and I, looking back over the years, can think of so many people I I'm again thinking of one particular fellow. He was a deacon in the church. He was a teacher in the church. For a large portion of the time, he led singing in the church. His family was such a blessing to our family, helped us in every way. I mean, here was a man that when he saw we needed a vacation, he said, here's my credit card and here's my car, and sent us off to Texas. said, don't worry about what you spend or anything. I've got it all covered. We went down to Corpus for a week and spent the time down there with Lester Roloff and just had a great time, all at his expense. His daughter was in Bible college, married a preacher. Watched those girls grow up and sing in the church week after week and get involved in the work of the Lord. And you just absolutely could not believe the tragedy that happened. And that man failed. And whenever I, I remember I was pastoring in Tennessee and they drove out there with hopes at that time they're going to restore their marriage. And they drove out there and I couldn't believe that they were even in that situation. And now for all of these years they've been divorced and just a horrible, tragic story. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't care how strong you think you are. You better wake up to the fact that something horrible like that could happen in your life. It could happen to any of us and all of us. The nature of the fall might be different than the one I've described. It might be something entirely different, but it'll be nonetheless painful. Take heed to those that have fallen. Secondly, you need to think about the harm that it does to the cause of Christ. We've already talked about the consequences regarding us, how, you know, it hurts us and it hurts our loved ones, but think about the consequences to the cause of Christ. 
Do you realize others are judging Jesus Christ based on what they see in you and what they see in me? They arrive at conclusions, what they think about Jesus Christ, all based on what they see in us. God forbid that we give them the wrong impression. And then the last thing that we need to do is not only take heed to the large number that have fallen, and not only think about the harm that it does, we need to turn to God in our time of need. And you could say that's every day. Look at verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer, that is not allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. This is an amazing verse, and yet it's often misunderstood. I've heard so many people say, oh, I don't need to worry about it because God never puts more on us than what we're able to bear. You're wrong. Let me tell you, God will, God does put more on us than what we're able to bear. God lets things happen that will bring about our absolute total collapse unless we live our life in continuous obedience and trust in Him. I mean, that's the purpose sometimes of trials in our life. And I want you to look at this word trials whenever he talks about it. He says there's no temptation. That that means a trial. It means a, a test. It's talking about anything that's hard to resist, hard to endure. And all of these things, whether it's enticement to sin or a hardship you're going through, whatever it is, doesn't make any difference. All of these things can tempt you to sin. You see, there are some of you, you would never, you know, be, you'd never give in to the temptation of a particular sin. And if Satan can't get to you that way, he gets to you through some hardship, through some difficulty in your life. And whereas you resisted the temptation to commit adultery or the temptation to to take drugs or the temptation to steal money, you resisted those temptations. You didn't fall in that way, but he trips you up in another way. So all of those things are included in this word temptation. There is no temptation taken you. Now notice, but such as is common to man. That is that you, you're not going through anything that somebody else hasn't already gone through. But the best part about it is, but God is faithful. I'm glad God's faithful even when we're not. But God is faithful and He will not allow you. He's not going to suffer you. He's not going to let you be tempted above that which ye are able. And you've you got to put all of this in the context of our living for Him. Notice He said these things are common to man. And whenever He uses that word taken, it means to catch or seize or lay hold of. The, these things that would capture you, in other words. And notice he says there's a way of escape. 
that ye may be able to bear it. And that way to escape is what? The, the Lord Himself. He's the way to escape. He's our help in time of trouble, right? Here's the bottom line. If we fall, it's by choice, not by compulsion. Nobody here can make me fall. Nobody here can take away my joy. I have to give it away. I have to give it up. I have to turn it in. You see, nobody else can make you fall. Nobody else can bring about your destruction. Nobody else can make you become a casualty. It's a choice that we make in life. And all of us better realize every single moment that we live on the face of this earth that at any moment that if we let ourselves get the least bit away from the Lord, tragedy is liable to strike in our life. And the consequences is what? To lose everything of value that we have. We simply cannot afford to let anything come between us and the Lord. The old song said, Nothing between my soul and my Savior. That's the way it better be. And if there's something between you and Him today, you better fix it. You better get it right. And don't dare leave here thinking, but it'll never happen to me. Because you are already well down the road to it becoming a sad reality in your life. And if you've already fallen, I want you to understand there's hope. I wish I could stand here and just spill my guts. I get so tired of getting those emails and those letters. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about now. I, I, I wish I'd never get another one of those letters like I got this week from someone that I care about deeply. A letter saying we're leaving. When it's so foolish, absolutely without any justification, except for the fact that somebody let something come between them and their Savior and they're on the way down. Don't let that happen to you. Let's stand. Father, forgive me the many times and the many ways that I fail you. And I realize it's only by your grace that, that I'm able to even stand one day let alone for all of these years that you've given me the privilege of being able to preach your word. And, and I just thank you for that wonderful privilege and for the family and friends and everything that you've given me. And I realize it's all because of your grace and never because of anything that I've earned. And Lord, I just pray today that these words from the Apostle Paul might be a wake-up call 
not just to the folks out there, but to me and everybody else here, that we're living on the ragged edge in danger of absolutely losing everything of any value in this world if we don't take measures to to stand in the hour of temptation. And if there's someone that has fallen today, that I just pray that you help them to see that you are their help in time of need and that there's hope in you. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen.